I'm Holiday. I'm Taraday. I'm Independence Day. Oh, a microphony. And a phony at the mic. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> and now, on with the opera. Let joy be unconfined. Let there be dancing in the streets, drinking in the saloons, and necking in the parlor. Play, Don. Would you welcome Mr. Warm? Picture it. <laughs> Sicily, 1912. Hi, folks. Welcome once again to another exciting episode of Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0, where we cover all crime. I am, as always, your host, the Great White Snark, Scotty J. And joining me on our descent into madness is the lovely and twisted Monica. Hi. And for an, an unprecedented time, we have a guest joining us in, well, our little studio space bubble. <laughs> space bubble, that's a good one. Um, Monica's son, James, is joining us for a special episode because today's topic is someplace he's been. He can, he can add insight. Yep. I've been there. Yay. So you're probably wondering, what? who are we talking about today? Well, he already gave it away, actually. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't hear it. Oh, yeah, he already gave it away, but you can say it anyway. Sorry. Okay, we're, we're going to talk about Lizzie Borden. Yeah, I know. It's, it's another one of my uh, my women that I, I seem to like. I don't know what it is about Lizzie. Yeah, it's because murders. Gore. Well, I actually said Everything today. Everything in one little episode. Well, I said today in, in therapy, I told my therapist that uh, well, we know that I mean, without giving too much away, Lizzie never married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said... And Emma didn't either. I so. knew that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm Emma. Not. I was calling her Anna in her. therapy. Oh. Oopsie. Emma. Right. Well, I I said that uh, I probably would have been the man that walked up to Lizzie and went, how you doing? Yeah. I'll be like this. Hey, punk, what you doing? And she'd be like, I, What? I probably would have married Lizzie. Granted, yeah. I would have had a palm of blade and sleep with an eye open. Yeah. Or an eye. Or <laughs> right. I would sleep with both eyes open. I'll be like, I'll be dreaming of dying. But yeah, if we went to her And then I'll house. wake up dead. Yeah, I've been there. It was creepy. I felt like I was going to get killed. Seriously, I was there. I felt like I was going to get stabbed in the back a hundred times. Now, That's why I stayed right, in the middle of the crowd. Before we really get into the story, I, I've wanted to ask this. You guys were at the house. Yes. Yeah. What was the general feeling in there? Ghosts. Murder. Death. Blood. A little cramped. Yeah. Well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Like, Actually, there's, yeah. like the hallway. Well, not it's pretty cramped. Like the stairwell was really tiny. You know but what I think, felt like in there? I felt a little scared, but I was four. I was the I'm, I was not the average. Was five. I was not the average five year old. Yeah. I was the five year old. I wasn't scared of blood, and ghosts, and death, and stuff like that. But the creep- I enjoyed it. I liked it. But yeah, the ever like creepy feeling or something. Like it's, yeah, I got more of a creepy feeling honestly at the Stanley Hotel. Okay. I got 
there was less people there too and i was, I, I got more cre- creepy creeped out because there wasn't really a big crowd to like hide in so i was strangling my mom's leg mm-hmm. i wasn't that scared that i'm making a sound like but i was like a two scared out of five okay I wasn't that scared so yeah but he didn't go to the grave because he was too tired in the car and, and also I wish I did. I really wish. Yeah. I, I probably would have gone to the grave. Yeah, you know? me too. Yeah, now he regrets that he didn't go. I do. I'm like, yeah. We only, that was what I mean, happened. the next time we go, we can go to Massachusetts and go back and like we can get time. It's not that far away. True. It's only like five hours <laughs> yeah. of drive. Actually, no, like three. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, let's get into our wonderful story here. Of death. <laughs> that was a good one. Thank you. Lizzie Andrew Borden was born on July 19, 1860, in Fall River, Massachusetts, to Sarah Anthony and Andrew Jackson Borden. Ooh, nice name for dad. Her father began his career as a carpenter, where he worked for the Southard Miller for two years before he left to manage his uncle Thomas's property. He was a director of several textile mills and owned commercial properties. At his death, his estate was valued at $300,000, which today is about $9,630,000. It's not bad. Andrew was well known for being cheap. How cheap was he? For instance, <laughs> I love how you set me up on that one. You wrote it in, and I I just went through the whole thing. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, I'm funny. The Borden home lacked indoor plumbing at a time when it was normal for the upper middle class and wealthy to have it. The home was in an area considered to be affluent, but the wealthiest residents lived in an area known as the Hill. Andrew could have afforded to live there, but he chose not to. It would have cost more money. Now, Lizzie and her older sister, Emma Lenora, attended Central Congregational. Is that church still standing? Um, I th- it should be. Yeah, because there's a church. I was like literally it was like right across the street from them. But okay. I can't remember. I know they said like Bridget went, went to that one. But OK, so um, mom is uh, Central Congregational Church. Lizzie would teach Sunday school to the children there. Her favorite story to tell was the story of Cain and Abel. She could relate. She was also involved in religious organizations such as the Christian Endeavor Society and social movements such as the Women's Christian Temperance Union. She was also a member of the Ladies Fruit and Flower Mission. Lizzie's mother, Sarah, died not quite three years after Lizzie was born on March 26, 1863, of uterine congestion and spinal disease. Three years after that, Andrew married Abby Dufree Gray. From the moment they were married up until five or six years before the double murders, Lizzie would call Abby mother. The reason for this is that Andrew gave gifts of real estate to members of Abby's family. 
The gift that really ticked off Edmund and Lizzie was the gift of Andrew purchasing Abby's stepmother's share of a house that had been left to her and to Abby's half-sister. Andrew made these purchases and then gave it to Abby. In response to this, Lizzie and Emma told them that they should be given a rental property. Andrew told them the property that they had lived in is sold them the property that they lived in as children for a dollar. A few weeks before the murders, the sisters sold back the, to Andrew the property for, for the price of five grand or $151,000 today. It was also around this time that Lizzie and Emma stopped taking their meals with Andrew and Abby. For about a week before the murders, the household had been very ill. The cause was most likely mutton that had been left out in the kitchen to be eaten as leftovers and not stored properly. However, Abby had thought that it could have been an attempted poisoning by someone who disliked Andrew. In May 1892, Andrew killed pigeons that had been roosting in the barn with a hatchet to keep local children from hunting them. Supposedly, they were Lizzie's pets. The case that they were pets and not a nuisance makes more sense because if they were just roosting, why not just wave them out? It seems like it would be harder and dirtier to be mass murdering birds. John Morse, Lizzie and Emma's maternal uncle, arrived at the house on August 3rd, 1892, and stayed in the guest room that night. On August 4th, Morse left the house at around 8.48 a.m. to purchase oxen and visit another niece in Fall River. He planned on returning to the Borden home for lunch that day. Andrew took his usual morning constitutional a little after 9 a.m. Even though the cleaning of the guest room was something that either Emma or Lizzie would usually do, Abby would do it that day sometime between 9 and 10.30 a.m. During that time, Abby was attacked facing her killer in which she was struck first on the side of her head just above her ear. This caused her body to spin around and fall face down on the floor, her head facing the wall. This action also caused bruising to her forehead and nose. The killer fell upon her, giving her 17 more whacks to the head, finally killing her. Andrew returned to the home at approximately 10.30 a.m. He tried his key to unlock the door, but it would not open, so he knocked to be let in. Bridget, their live-in maid, was the one who answered the door. When she found it was jammed, she cursed at it and later testified that she heard Lizzie laugh at this from the top of the stairs. This became important during the trial because by this time, Abby was already dead, and Lizzie would have been able to see her body from where she was standing. Now, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't um, Bridget Sullivan Irish? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I can imagine her cussing the door with that Irish accent. Oh, yeah. I'd have been sitting. I, I would have had to have heard it just because, oh, okay. I mean, my family's from Ireland, so I'd have been like, oh, come on, Bridget, say something good. Uh-huh. <laughs> Lizzie would deny being on the second floor at this time and said that Andrew asked where asked her where Abby was. She said that a messenger had come to the house with the request that Abby go visit a sick friend. She also stated that she helped Andrew take off his boots and put on his slippers before he lay down on the sitting room sofa to take a nap. Hello, friends. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I'm just going to slip off my shoes and put on my slippers. That's what we do when we're in the house. 
She then told Bridget that a nearby department store was having a sale and that she could have some time off to go to it if she wanted. Bridget declined and said that she was going to go to her room in the attic and take a nap herself since she was still feeling ill. Around 11.10 a.m., Bridget came from her room and heard Lizzie yell up to her, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Someone came in and killed him. Lizzie had found Andrew slumped on the couch, his face bashed in from approximately 10 or 11 blows from what looked like a hatchet-like weapon that halved one of his eyes. The blood was still flowing freely from the wounds, suggesting that it had not been that long ago that he had been attacked. Bridget was sent to get the family doctor, Dr. Bowen, who happened to live across the street. He had the simple task of declaring Andrew dead. His approximate time of death was 11 a.m. The police were called to the scene and began questioning the people who were in the home. Lizzie was asked where Abby was, and she responded that she had left the home to visit a sick friend, but thought that she had returned. Lizzie asked if somebody could go around the home and look for her. Bridget and another neighbor, Mrs. Churchill, went upstairs to look, and while halfway up the stairs, looked to their left and saw the body of Abby laying on the floor between the bed and the dresser of the guest room. Most of the police officers who interviewed Lizzie that day later said that they did not like her attitude and or she was much too calm and poised for just having lost her father and stepmother in such a brutal way. When one of the officers referred to Abby as Lizzie's mother, she protested, she is not my mother, she is my stepmother. Now, despite what the officers may have thought of Lizzie, not one of them thought to check her for bloodstains. Idiots. Much like how the Beverly Hills police would neglect to check the Menendez brothers for the presence of gunpowder on them almost 100 years later. They did not check her room, but all that it was, but all that it was was basically confirming that it was Lizzie's room. While searching the rest of the home, the police found in the basement two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head that had most of the handle removed. This particular item was believed to be the murder weapon because the break in the handle appeared to be recent and the ash and dust on it looked to have been deliberately placed there as opposed to occurring naturally. Despite these findings, all of the weapons were left in the home. So how would they know like dust settling back then? I mean, like, was the dust settling and all? Yeah, like, how could they know that, you know, the dust was just placed there instead of appearing naturally? Oh, yeah. I guess, I guess if it's like you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Okay. So, like, the other ones have it like on the, the same level, you know? The same now, while you guys were there, did they have any of the, um, was there like a display case that had the the hatchet head in it? They actually yeah. let you touch one of the axes. I actually yeah. take a, took a picture of my mom and I pretended to hit my mom with the axe. Yeah, because that was like, a fake one, you know. Well, that, okay. one. Wait, that was fake? Yes. Okay, first of all, I can't remember since I was five. <laughs> so I can't remember if it was real or not. So. But they did have um, like 
plaster models of their skulls okay. that they took out. And they out. did have pictures. Interesting. Of, um, yeah. Of Mr. Borden dead. Uh, yeah, they, they did. did have yeah, they pictures. showed pictures around too. Yeah. Okay. So, yes. Okay, still here. The stomachs of Abby and Andrew were removed during their autopsies, which was actually done in the dining room. So oh, nice. Yeah, so we're in the room. Why would you do a biopsy in a house? Because that's what the chops were at that time. Okay. It's disgusting. <laughs> Sorry. And checked for signs of poison because of the complaints of the past week. The milk that remained in the kitchen was also tested. No poison was found in the stomachs or milk. Neighbors suspected Lizzie of attempting to purchase prussic acid in the diluted form from a local pharmacy, but Lizzie defended this, saying she needed it to clean a sealskin coat. Lizzie and Emma's friend, Alice Russell, volunteered to spend the night with them in the house to lend some comfort. A few police officers were assigned to stand guard outside the home that night, and one of the officers later testified that he had seen Lizzie and Alice enter the cellar with a kerosene lamp and a pail. They both left at the same time, but then Lizzie returned. He said that while he couldn't tell exactly what she was doing, it did look like she was doing something in the sink. On August 6th, the police returned to the house to do some more investigating. This time, they made more inspections of Lizzie and Emma's clothing and finally decided that it might be a good idea to take the broken hatchet with them. You think? Later that evening, a police officer and the Fall River mayor visited the house and informed Lizzie that she was a suspect in the double murders. The next day, Alice found Lizzie in the kitchen burning a dress that she owned. Lizzie told her she was burning it because it had paint splattered all over it. It was never determined if this happened to be the dress that Lizzie was wearing the day of the murders. The inquest began on August 8th. And Lizzie requested that the family attorney be present at it. This was refused or reused. It's supposed to be refused. Refused, yeah. Oh, sorry. This was refused because at the time, a state statute required that an inquest be held in private. The last few days, Lizzie had been prescribed morphine to calm her nerves. Oh, that's not habit forming at all. It is thought that this is the reason that Libby's, Lizzie's responses and behavior during the inquest were not typical of her. Her behavior was deemed to be erratic, and she refused to answer the most basic of questions that would have helped to prove her innocence. This included saying, excuse me, stating that she was in the kitchen reading a magazine and then changing the answer to she was in the dining room ironing handkerchiefs. It was at this time that she also had made the claim of removing Andrew's shoes and replacing them with slippers, despite the crime scene photos clearly showing that Andrew died with his boots on. On August 11th, Lizzie was served with a warrant for her arrest and placed in jail to await trial. The inquest testimony was later ruled inadmissible for the trial. This is when the story of Lizzie Borden first started to become well-known outside of Fall River. A grand jury was convened on November 7th, and on December 2nd, Lizzie was indicted for the murders of Andrew and Abigail Borden. The trial of Lizzie Borden began on June 5th, 1893. The prosecutors were Hosea Knowlton and William H. Moody, who would later become a justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. The defending attorneys were Andrew Jennings, Melvin Adams, and George Robinson. 
the prosecution was not able to satisfactorily prove that the broken hatchet found in the cellar was the actual murder weapon. There were contradictions between the testifying officers on account of whether the damaged hatchet's handle had been located or not. Alice Russell also testified that she had seen Lizzie burning a dress in the kitchen on August 8th and that Lizzie had said it had been ruined by paint. The defense lawyers did not attempt to challenge Russell on her statement. Where Lizzie was in the home during the day in question was also an issue at the trial. Bridget testified that she was on the second floor of the home at around 10.58 a.m. while Lizzie and Andrew were downstairs. Lizzie said that during this time period, she was in the barn for 20 minutes or possibly half an hour. Hyman Lubinsky testified for the defense that he saw Lizzie leave the barn at 11.03 a.m. and Charles Gardner back to the statement. It was 11.10 a.m. that Lizzie called to Bridget that her father had been murdered and for her to leave the home and get a doctor. Evidence that Lizzie had attempted to purchase prussic acid the day before the double murder. Sorry, because the judge ruled that the timing was too remote in regards to the murders to be connected. So lucky her on that one. Right. Lizzie was acquitted of the murder of the murders on June 20th, 1892, after the jury deliberated for just an hour and a half. That's long enough to fill out the paperwork and um, maybe order lunch. Pretty much. Yeah. After the acquittal and 130 years later, Lizzie still remains the top suspect in the murders. Other suspects over the years have included John Morris, Lizzie and Emma's maternal uncle. Bridget Sullivan, because of being made to clean the house windows while still being ill. William Borden, who was also a suspect and later proven not to be an illegitimate son of Andrew Borden. Even Emma had been under an umbrella of suspicion. After the trial, Lizzie and Emma used their inheritance to buy a home on the hill that Lizzie named Maplecroft. It was at this time that Lizzie changed her name to Elizabeth. The sisters had a full staff to help them with the running and maintenance of the house. Because technically, Andrew was a widower, the sisters received all of the inheritance from Andrew. However, a large settlement was paid to Abby's family to settle claims made against the estate. Lizzie was never again accepted in the Fall River Society, but five years later, she was back in the news when she was accused of shoplifting in Providence. In 1905, the sisters had a falling out over a party that Lizzie had given in honor of actress Nance O'Neill, and they never spoke again. Lizzie died on June 1st, 1927 of pneumonia. Nine days later, Emma died of chronic nephritis in New Hampshire, where she had gone to live in 1923 for her health and to avoid renewed local attention given to the publication of yet another book about the murders was published. They are buried with their father, mother, stepmother, and a sister, Alice. She was born between Emma and Lizzie, who died at the age of two. So, oh, in her will, Lizzie left 30 grand or $628,000 in today's money to the Fall River Animal Rescue League. Other money was left for the perpetual care of her father's gravesite, and other friends and family received between $1,000 and $5,000, which today is like $21,000 and $105,000. I 
found the information about the church actually what yeah church? it's still there okay oh. essential yeah it is the church that's right across the street from All the right. house and it's actually it's on the national register of historic places since can i say something not yet okay. february 16th 1983 and also the performance segment of the Aerosmith video crying was filmed there Okay, crying. I know it. Oh, in the yeah, church. Alicia. Yeah, no, I, I know the parts you're talking about because there there's some parts where uh Steven and Joe are like on a staircase. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean it's been oh, a while since I've seen it, but oh, yeah. that's I, I'm play, I'm playing it in my head right now. Uh-huh. And somebody else wants to say something. Yes, James. For my birthday, I actually got a Lizzie Borden house model for my birthday like not gonna tell you when but it was it was not too um oh. long ago. so that was pretty cool and okay had, there's it was pretty cool there oh, are two yeah true <laughs> there there are two main theories on the murder one one I believe and one I don't believe. One you believe first. Yeah. The one I believe is that she murdered Andrew and Abby for the money. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's everyone knows that. It's like yeah. they're rich. She wanted this ginormous Godzilla. All house. she wanted was a toilet in the house. I mean, Wait, what? Just... Why would you buy a big house worth thousand dollars just for a toilet? Well, hey, more of the house too for the what? couple of toilets in the house. That's such well, a big thing. And also the, the fact that he was, um, you know, buying Abby's family stuff. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I'm kind of not really dealing with it, but I but I understand inheritance issues. Um, well, I, well, I told you the other night in a text message what's going on. Yeah. Uh huh. So I I understand. Where Lizzie's coming from. Mm-hmm. The other one, I don't believe because there's no evidence. Which one don't you believe? The one with Bridget and uh, no, not not oh, Bridget. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think Bridget did it. Uh-huh. Um, I'm. I don't believe that Andrew was having relations with. Lizzie. Uh, the Andrew and Lizzie one. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I yeah, do not that, believe that one. I don't think that either. What I believe is it was a double, it was a double kill of double people that Lizzie took out the the Mr. Um, Mr. Borden and the maid took out um, Mrs. Borden for the money. That I saw that in a movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But what, it what was it with the uh, uh, God? The, the wooden face one from uh, Twilight. Um, because maids. Oh, yeah, that was that, bad. Yeah. Maids back then didn't have that much yes, room. Can we talk? Yeah. So, oh, God. What's Kristen Stewart? Yeah. her. Yeah, I did not like that one. The one with Chris, Christina Ricci was good, though. Christina Ricci. You know what's a really good one? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can find it, find it on a streaming service, is the one with Elizabeth Montgomery. Oh, uh, yeah. I think it's. Um, 
say the trial one, of Lizzie I think it's Borden. like one of those free ones or something. Yeah, right. It, it, it's it was. I remember watching that when I was probably uh, 14, 15. Yeah, she's actually um the Montgomery's actually a like distant relative too. I would not doubt oh, that. Borden. Yeah, they've actually said, and they have one of the um, dresses that she wore. Ooh. Or like yeah, the TV movie. Wait, the yeah, movie. yeah, took it out from the house. Not no, taken from the show. Oh yeah, I thought you meant taken from the house, like no. the real one. No, oh, that would have been awesome, but very fragile. <laughs> and you don't want to screw up history. Um, no, I, I, I think that Lizzie did both did both murders. Uh huh. Yeah. She had the opportunity. You know, she kept Bridget occupied so Bridget couldn't see her do it. Yeah, I don't think Bridget did it. No. Because why would, I mean, yeah, she's upset that she has to, you know, um, clean the windows. But then also, um, what happens if you kill me and you have no job? And also, you get right. So, yeah, doesn't, yeah. And also, you get paid, sort of. I mean, exactly. Yeah, so that would make sense. Listen, um, like, because that's a lot of smackeroonies. <laughs> I you can get that's a lot of smackers that uh, you can earn just by killing one person. I mean, I wouldn't do that. Right, but if if she killed her boss, she's out of a job. Yeah, so that I'll doesn't wait make any sense. Old age killed him because, and it doesn't look good on your job resume that you killed your previous boss. Also true. Yeah. yeah so, it's like, why would mm-hmm. you kill your boss? You don't get paid. No smackaroonies. And and also she lived um and she lived there too. So yeah, right. also so, have a house. You know, it yeah. makes no sense. No job, no house, no smackaroonies. Mm-hmm. No, it's um I don't even know why even anybody even thought of that. How would you buy tater totters? I mean tater tots. <laughs> I know tater we need to buy tater tots. I know. Tater tots are delicious. <laughs> They're a bundle of potatoes and they're fried and it's like a fry, but it's deliciouser and it's so good. And how would you buy McDonald's? Okay, all I can see is the numbers going down for the viewers, for the listeners. It's like, yeah, we crashed. (laughs) This this episode is going to be like, you know, it's like, peaked. Okay, yeah, we're done. Yeah, I take the blame for this one, but I figured, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. McDonald's needs tater tots. Yeah. Because yeah. they would go so I good with the browns. I actually had them today. Yeah. Enough, but and you yeah. can't ruin tater tots. You no, can't you can't. Yeah. No, you can't. Just if you ever visit out here, James, I'm, I'm going to take you to this place called Burgers and Beer. I'm not drinking beer. No. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's like a local hamburger place. Mm-hmm. And they serve this meal that I have that I love. It's called the Hell Yeah. It's a piece, <laughs> it, it's a piece of bread with mm-hmm. a big Angus hamburger patty on it. What? What's covered, in, covered in gravy. And then you can have like, like french fries or tater tots Ooh, in, in with the gravy. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. So Tater tots! Tater tots! Tater tots! I, 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 I hear my arteries hardening hard right right now. Well, yeah, because I figured, like, Lizzie Borden, it's nothing he hasn't heard. Yeah. Right. And also, he's been, obviously, since he's been there and all, so he can add a little it, bit. When but. I was there, I wasn't mm-hmm. scared. I was not disturbed. I was spooked. Minus a, a million. 
tiny, yeah. tiny, tiny, it was very like weird. tiny like, bit. And it was pretty, it was actually fun, even though two murders happened there, even though two people died there. It was there. Bridget's room, though, but I think because it was all the way yeah. up in the attic and it, yeah. the ceiling was slanted. And it was so I think really that was a little claustrophobic feeling. Right. Plus it wasn't really that. That was, but that was. But she wanted to kill. I don't know why you would want to kill her, your boss, because all that smackaroonies. We're still on the smackaroonies. So. I just probably wind this up. To right. Talking out all right. If you look, look, uh, if you find us on Spotify, it, it's easy. We're there. And for Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0, I'm Scotty J. Say goodnight, Monica. Good night, Monica. Good night. I want to have tater tots in my dreams. <laughs>